Welcome to Ear Crush, the Friday podcast for people who love listening to great stories. I'm your host, Stephen Campbell, and I'm running solo this week with no co-host. So we're going to get right to the story. But first, a super quick update on what audiobooks are coming down the pike from LMBPN Publishing. First is Dark is Her Nature, which is book one in the wildly popular School of Necessary Magic series from Judith Behrens. That one should come available at Audible in the next week or so. And as soon as I get finished with this podcast, I'm going to submit Alpha Class Discovery, which is narrated by Emily Beresford to ACX. That should be available for your listening pleasure in 10 to 14 days. I know a lot of you have been waiting for, for the return of Alpha Class, and so we're getting that one out to you as quickly as we can. We're really excited about it. So let's get back to our Ear Crush story. We're on part five of Bellatrex. That was written by Natalie Gray and Michael Anderley. I'm sure you know that by now after listening to the first four parts. And it, it is, of course, narrated by Emily Beresford. So let's get to it. After an hour of searching, Yelena slumped onto the bed and put her head in her hands. If it were not for the quiet contentment she could feel coming from Bellatrix, out in nature and amongst rabbits and squirrels and snow, she would have gone mad already. And she thought she might go mad now. There were no clues here. Alec always traveled light, a change of clothes or two, his ski gear, maybe a book. Yelena was not even sure what she had been hoping for. Maybe a journal. Maybe if she were going to wish for things, it would be a day planner with an address list that he had not brought with him to meet whoever had hurt him. She pushed herself up and began to pace. It had been a long day, but she was not at all tired. She was beginning to feel the same, simmering anger that had led her to beat the shit out of Ciprian two years ago. The anger told her that this was not fair, that no one should have any reason to hurt Alec, that no one should be allowed to take her twin from her. It was wrong. She wasn't just going to sit here and let it happen. That thought made everything crystal clear. Elena grabbed a hair tie and began to tie her hair back, narrating to herself as she went. They said he went out to ski and never came back. She wrapped a wide scarf around her neck with the cloth over her mouth. So the first place to look is on the slopes. She pulled on her boots and laced them up. They said they sent someone, but clearly they missed an important piece of information. A stab of pain caught her as she grabbed her coat, and she steadied herself against the wall. A moment later, she realized what the pain meant. She whispered, If Alec is still in pain, he's still alive. Elena grabbed a map in one gloved hand and set off for the back stairway out of the resort. The thought that he was in pain brought tears to her eyes, but she wiped them away angrily. Now was no time to be weak. Alec would hang on as long as he could. He was a fighter. And so was she. She was going to go find her brother. This is perfect. Ekaterina tipped her head back and stared up at the sky happily. Don't get me wrong. I like seeing stars from space, but there's nothing like a winter sky in Romania. Pete grinned and leaned back against the wall of the hotel, crossing his arms. The winter air didn't bother him. Minor discomfort did not bother most of those who were enhanced by nanocytes and he would not have allowed any level of discomfort to keep him from obeying Bethany Ann's orders and protecting an innocent woman. 
He also had other obligations. Even if there had been no orders, he would have been out here with Ekaterina. Nathaniel had been very, very clear. If anything happened to her, Pete was going to be turned completely inside out. Pete cared too much about Ekaterina to let her go into danger. Human or not, she was his packmate. But he also had no desire to find out whether being turned inside out was a thing Nathaniel could actually manage. So you used to hike up into the mountains on your own? All the time, Ekaterina shrugged her shoulders. You must understand, right? The world has all of these rules and trivial concerns, and after a while, you just want to be yourself alone, matched against nature. She hunched her shoulders, looking sad. It feels ridiculous to talk about that sometimes. Almost everyone I talk to is more than human now, and even I have lost some of the feeling after I changed. You know none of that matters, Pete told her. He came to stand beside her. He could feel Asher nearby, and the other dog. She was interested in them, but had not yet come out of the trees. Caution would serve her well, and he did not want to interfere by calling to her. He focused on Ekaterina instead. He could see the self-doubt in her face, and it tore at his heart. You are smart and strong and kind. You earned your place with Bethany Ann. I guess so. Ekaterina crossed her arms and looked away. You really did. Pete assured her. He nudged her with one elbow. Plus, you keep Nathaniel in a good mood, he joked. I'm sure a few of us would be dead if he didn't have you to make him nicer. Ekaterina laughed at that. She opened her mouth to speak, but the sound of the door opening made them both turn. It was the young woman from before, her gray eyes wide as she saw them there. Clearly, she thought no one would be here. Her eyes got even wider as Asher padded out of the forest, with her dog at his side. Elena was surprised to see some of the others there. She remembered Ekaterina, and something about the man at her side made Yelena feel comfortable. She had the strange thought that they smelled familiar, and realized she was being ridiculous. Feeling Alec's pain was enough weird supernatural crap for one day. She was not going to start believing that she could smell whether or not someone was trustworthy. But her jaw dropped when she saw Bellatrix with the other dog. Her dog was unusually large, large enough to make people uncomfortable, even in her little town, where everyone knew her and knew that Dimitri bred giant German shepherds. But Bellatrix looked small next to the pure white dog, and both dogs looked perfectly happy. The white dog chuffed at her. He's saying hello. Hello, Yelena said to the white dog, before she remembered that there were people watching her. She felt her face flush and looked over at them. Uh, I mean, can you understand him? The woman asked curiously. Of course not. I was just saying hello. She said the words more emphatically than she needed to. I, uh, I have to go. Sorry. Come on, Trix. The man and the woman exchanged a quick look. We can't actually, uh, you stay inside tonight. Ekaterina looked worried. It's really dangerous out here. Something inside Yelena snapped. Yeah, I know. My brother's out there somewhere, hurt. I've got to find him. Maybe we can help. Ekaterina bit her lip. How can you help? We can find people. And if he's in trouble, we can make sure. Her voice trailed off. Well, if he got mixed up in something, 
Actually, would you know if he was mixed up in anything bad? Yelena laughed shortly. Alec? No, he only cares about skiing. I mean, he's an accountant too, but that's just to pay bills. He doesn't have any friends who might be mixed up in bad things? No, Yelena said impatiently. He came out here alone. Look, you've been really nice, but I have to go find him. Come on, Trix. Bellatrix did not move. Vexelborg. He raised an eyebrow when Yelena's head jerked around. The word means something to you? Yelena tried to remember her English and couldn't. She wasn't entirely sure she'd understood the second sentence, but she knew the word Vexelborg. She looked over at Ekaterina. You know the word, Ekaterina suggested. It's just old stories, Yelena said. It doesn't mean anything, she muttered, even if Mama thinks it does. Your mother told you about Vexelborg? Yelena shook her head. I need to find Alec. I don't have time for this. What did your mother say? Ekaterina pressed. Yelena spit out. That our family has changed your blood, all right? But I know it isn't true. I'm not a crazy person, all right? Whatever Alec got mixed up in. Pete stood up. Give me. Ah, screw it. What? Yelena asked. But all he threw off was his coat. Then the man changed. You pups always make messes, Ekaterina said and grabbed the shirt around his neck and tossed it off as the wolf stepped out of the destroyed clothes. He stood bigger even than the white dog, unmistakably a wolf. He padded over to her and nudged her hand with his nose. Oh, Yelena said faintly. She swayed slightly as she looked down at the eyes staring back at her. They're real, the woman said. And your mother is right. You do have their blood. So does your brother. We think maybe he got taken by the people we are hunting. The wolf growled softly. We don't know that for sure, Ekaterina said. Don't know what for sure. He wonders if your brother might be using his Vexelbog blood to become part of the underworld around here, Ekaterina explained. He would never, Yelena said hotly. She felt lost. Her voice trembled just a bit. You really think they have him? Yelena looked around. It was just too much. There was a giant, shape-shifting wolf, and the idea that maybe she could do that too, and the thought that she could never rescue Alec if she were up against something with claws like knives. Ekaterina spoke gently. You might not be able to take on a Vixel bog or tree by yourself, she said, but we can. You should come upstairs, meet Bethany Ann. It was Bellatrix who decided her. You can trust these people. With one more glance at the wolf, definitely still there, definitely still a wolf, Elena followed Ekaterina back into the hotel to meet the woman called Bethany Ann. Emilian, Marcel waited awkwardly in the doorway. Our client is on the phone for you. Thank you. Emilian stood and walked to the other room, not looking at the man. Marcel was clearly still bothered by Cesar's death. That he should let the discomfort be seen was not acceptable. Emilion would have to talk to him about that. He could hardly take over the underworld if his employees could not deal with a little blood. As he picked up the phone, he thought that he would have to come up with a way to make Marcel understand. Hello? What is your status? The man's voice was sharp. He was an impatient man, Emilion had learned. The wife is worried. 
I don't want there to be any chance of him being rescued. Emelion felt an instinctive flare of rage. How dare this man question his methods? He clenched his fingers as he answered, telling himself that he was using the humans for their money, and reminding himself that it amused him to play them off one another. You wanted him to suffer, he said shortly. He is suffering. He has suffered enough. The man gave the order carelessly. End it. Use the beast you told me about. The beast is me. Emilion smiled. I will. Tell me when it is done, and I will tell you what to do with the body. The man hung up without waiting for a response. Emilion drummed his fingers on the desk for another moment and came to a decision. They could take some time, he decided, especially if the man's pain could serve two purposes. Marcel, he waited for the man to appear. You will torture the man. These are things you will need to know if you are to be of use to me. The look in his eyes showed Marcel that if a man was not of use, he would be dead. As Marcel disappeared, looking sick, Emilion flipped through what they had taken from the man. The ski gear was ruined by his claws, and the man's documents were in a plastic pouch. Emilion took the papers out and froze. Worry made him sick. Alec Nikolov, the papers read. Their target might have made false papers, hoping to keep Virgil from knowing where he was going. Or he might have been telling the truth. He might not know Virgil at all. They might have the wrong man. Emilion ran for the torture room, shouting for Marcel. They had to find Teo, and this man had to die. He could not be allowed to tell the world what he had seen. The receptionist says there is an old house at the edge of town that's being rented. John closed the door behind him. He poked a finger into his ear and popped out an implant Jean and Bobcat had made for the bitches, with Tom's help, a language device that translated what he heard and allowed him to speak translated words. It took a while to get used to opening his mouth and having words come out that he didn't understand, but the device was useful. Bethany Ann had realized that while many world leaders spoke English, Often it was random people on the street who noticed strange things and were willing to admit to them. And those people rarely spoke more than one language. And it wasn't always English. It helped to speak the local language. John rubbed at his ear and grimaced. He still preferred speaking his own language. The people in the house now are younger guys. They don't seem to work anywhere. It was being rented for years, but no one was ever there, as far as anyone knew. But now people have moved in. A bolt hole, maybe, Eric suggested. A retreat, Bethany Ann agreed. So what do we know? We know that Stephen dealt with the leaders. We know that the leaders were reckless and preyed on humans. We also know that the ones left behind are weak. So they are weak, and they are using systems set up by people who were reckless. She smiled. I'd say we have a good shot to take them out easily. In time for breakfast, even. Bethany Ann was reaching for her coat when voices sounded in the hallway. A moment later, Ekaterina came in with the black-haired woman they had seen in the lobby. The woman looked shocked. She blushed again when she saw John and shifted her gaze to Bethany Ann. She was going to find her brother, Ekaterina explained. Where's Pete? He changed, so... Ekaterina grinned. Someone needs to bring him some clothes. Or, Eric suggested... We don't bring him clothes and make him get up here naked without being seen. Bethany Ann tapped her chin with a finger before pointing at Eric. 
you guys kill me, and Pete's going to kill you if he ends up out there naked. I'll go bring him some stuff. Eric grabbed workout shorts and a t-shirt out of one of the bags and left the room with an appreciative glance at the black-haired woman. Bethany Ann frowned. I would have heard a fight. Why did Pete change? To show her that her mother's stories were real. Ekaterina jerked her head at the woman. This is Yelena, by the way. Yelena, this is Bethany Ann. She had shifted back into Romanian. John sighed and put his translation unit back in. It is very nice to meet you, Yelena said politely. She swallowed, clearly torn. We do not have much time. I do not want to be impolite, but whatever is going on here, my brother is in serious danger. I can feel it, she said the last words almost defiantly, as if she expected Bethany Ann to think she was crazy for saying them. Her hands clenched. If he has really been taken by changers, then I need your help. Bethany Ann cocked her head to one side. You do not like admitting that you need help? She asked her. Of course I don't. Elena crossed her arms. Trouble comes for you when you're all alone, but it isn't smart to rely on other people. Bethany Ann nodded. I understand that way of thinking, and for a long time, I did not like to rely on anyone either. But my team is made up of people like you, people who push themselves very hard because they do not want to be weak or vulnerable. Like you, they want to help other people. I have learned to recognize people like you and to trust them. Everyone in this room, and Pete, who showed you that the Vexelbog are real, is someone you can trust. Elena looked like she wasn't quite sure if she believed that, and Bethany Ann realized it might be the sort of thing that could only be learned by experience. We are going to confront the people who have taken your brother, she told Elena. These are dangerous people, so you should stay here for now. If your brother is there, we will rescue him and bring him back. Nuh-uh, Elena shook her head. Absolutely not. I am not staying behind. Ekaterina put a hand on her arm. It is impossible for you to take on creatures like these on your own. I don't care, Elena said instantly. Don't be foolish, Bethany Ann told her. The truth was, she did not want this woman to come with her, only to find out that her brother was a member of the underworld. She was still worried that Alec Nikolov might not be as good-hearted as his sister was, but she was worried about suggesting that to the young woman. What good will you be to your brother if you should get hurt? Elena countered. Why should you get hurt on my behalf? That doesn't make any sense either. We have our own score to settle with them, Bethany Ann explained. She knew her voice was growing deeper, taking on a tinge of her queen bitch mode, as the bitches called it. And they will not be able to hurt us. Elena had backed up into the wall when she heard Bethany Ann's voice. She swallowed hard. She was clearly out of her depth between Bethany Ann and Pete, but she refused to back down just because she was afraid. I'm coming with you, she said simply. He is my brother. Maybe you don't think I can help. Maybe you're right, but I love him. I will protect him as long as I am able to do so. And I am not staying here if I know he is in danger, wolf or no wolf. Bethany Ann nodded. She understood the call of honor. She knew that for Elena, the chance of death meant nothing in the equation, and she would respect that. Remember that we are hunting these people because of the things they do, she explained. We want to take them down because they prey on people. We will help you rescue your brother. Alec, Elena nodded. 
His name is Alec. She said it like a prayer. Alec, Bethany Ann nodded. We'll save him, Yelena. Everyone get your gear. We are going to check out the house right now. None of them were willing to consider the idea that it might already be too late for Alec. Yelena noticed the sword Bethany Ann pulled out of a pack and the pistols they all slotted into holsters before their coats covered them up. Just who were these people? Emilion raced through the hallways, shouting for Marcel. The man they had needed to give them information now. Before, Emilion had just tortured him for fun. And because their client wanted the man to suffer, now he had to know if they had the right man at all. He found Marcel in the room, nervously holding his hand in a fist, hesitating as the man in the chair strained at his bonds to get away. Emilion took a moment to curl his lip in contempt at both men. The man in the chair should know he could not get away. And Marcel should not be hesitating. Emilion ordered Marcel curtly, hit him. Marcel did, though the hit was not as strong as Emilion knew he could summon. Again, Marcel hesitated. I said, hit him again. Marcel closed his eyes for a moment, but his sense of self-preservation was strong. His fist shot out and the man in the chair grunted in pain. The cuts on his chest were almost healed, and they had not festered as claw slashes usually did on humans. But Emilion was too distracted to think about that right now. Tell me your name, Emilion demanded. Alec Nikolov. The words came instantly through cracked lips. The man looked up at him. Who are you? The scalpel, Marcel. Emilion watched the man pick it up. Cut him on his chest. Marcel's face was screwed up with distaste, but he did as he was asked. Over the sound of the man's cry, Emilion explained. You do not ask question. I ask questions. What is your name? I told you. He tried to explain through the pain. Keep cutting, Emilion told Marcel. I will ask again. What is your name? Alec Nikolov, please. I am telling you the truth. Cold certainty settled in Emilion's stomach. The man was telling the truth. But it could not be true. He could not allow it to be true. He grabbed the scalpel out of Marcel's hand and jabbed it down into the captive's thigh, yelling at him. Tell me your name. I'm Alec. My name is Alec. The man was screaming the words hoarsely. You don't want me. I haven't done anything. You won't. His head lolled. He was losing consciousness, damn him. Emilion slapped him across the face. Wake up. Who do I want? Tell me or I'll cut you again. The man's eyes couldn't focus. Blood was spreading over his thigh. The other skier, he slurred. The man ahead of me. Emilion stared at him silently before mouthing the words slowly. What other skier? Fell on the branch. Don't know where he went. The man's eyes went wide. No, no, don't hurt him. You can't hurt him. Emilion smiled at him coldly. I can't. You are in no position to dictate terms. Marcel, go back to the slopes. Find the other skier and finish the job. At once. Call me when it's done. And you, Alec Nikolov. He smiled as he picked up another instrument from his set. 
He turned it in the light, looking at the blade. You are going to suffer, because I have had a bad day, and you are part of that, and because you tried to give me an order. You are going to suffer, as all humans will suffer when I come to power, if they defy me. Emilion smiled down at the tied-up man. No one will say I can't be benevolent when I want to be. He shrugged as he slashed out to Alec's cry. I just really want to be. Out in the hallway, Marchell did not stop running until he could no longer hear the man's screams. He did not want to do this. He did not want any of this. But what could he do? He knew he could not fight Emilion. A human could not do anything against a shapeshifter. He did not want to die. Slowly, trembling, he started into the woods. Either way, someone was dying tonight. Him or the other skier. That was just the way the world worked sometimes. Jamie Constantine paced outside the old house. His breath was making clouds in the air and his feet were going numb, but there was no way he was going back in there, even for a few minutes. The screams had barely let up for the past hour. He had taken this job despite every instinct. He told them he could patrol around the house, yes. No, he didn't care if he wasn't allowed to go in except to one room on the first floor. Whatever, rich people were weird and the pay was all right. Now he thought his instincts had been correct, though. What was this place? First, there was the guy who looked at people as though they were beneath him. And sometimes he actually goddamned growled. Who did that? Then there were the screams. He slumped against the wall. His mother was going to yell at him. She was going to remind him that this was the third job in three months. She was going to tell him that Christina would never stay with a guy who couldn't provide for her and the baby. The scream decided him, though. He had to get out of there. He'd given them a fake name on a hunch he wouldn't even put words to. Hopefully, they couldn't find him. He took off down the road without a backward glance. Better unemployed than dead. Only one of those two situations could be fixed. He skidded around the corner and stopped when he saw the group in front of him. Huge guys that looked like bodybuilders and a few women, all of them pretty. None of them seemed scared to be out at night. What are you running from? A woman in all black strolled forward. She had a look in her eyes that said he didn't want to mess with her. Oh, he wasn't going to. He wasn't a total idiot. Jamie looked over his shoulder and gulped. My boss is torturing someone. One of the women gave a little cry. So you just ran away rather than helping? She demanded, her eyes narrowing in anger. Please, Jamie held out his hands. Please, you don't get it. This guy is terrifying. He growls when he's mad. Three of the guys have gone missing in the past week, and there's blood on the stairs. I got a baby to take care of. I can't get killed. The woman reached out. She didn't look like a bodybuilder, but she dragged him close without any effort at all. Her eyes stared into his very mind without emotion, and Jamie felt more terror than he had ever known. When the woman released him, he thudded to his knees on the frozen ground. You are fortunate. The woman's voice didn't seem human now. When Jamie looked up, he screamed. Her eyes were red and glowing red lines threaded along her skin. The air around her seemed to crackle with power. 
He scrambled to kneel and pressed his forehead onto the ground. She was not of this world. He could only pray for mercy. I am letting you live because you did not participate in the torture, she told him, and because it would not be fair to your child if I were to kill you. But let this be a warning, Jamie Constantine. How do you know my... Stop talking, she told him, before commanding. Look at me. Trembling, he did so. You will never do something like this again, she told him. You will never again stand by while someone is hurt. If you do, the next time we meet, I will not be merciful. Do you understand? He nodded. She stepped around him without another word, and the rest of the team followed her. Screams drifted faintly on the breeze, and Jamie huddled on the ground, sobbing with fear. Eventually, he picked himself up and began to stumble back to town. Never again, he promised himself. He would not ever think he was too good for work. He'd go back to working at the butcher shop in the morning. Good, honest work where he didn't have to stand by and listen to people get tortured. They'd never be rich, but he'd provide for the baby and Christina. He stopped at the bottom of the hill, the house behind him lost in the trees, but he looked back anyway. Then he was smiling. That bastard was about to get what he deserved. In spades. Spades.